drug screening for human genetic diseases using iPSC models. A review by Matthew Allitt, Lilian Barbar, and Paul Teaser from Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine. Human Molecular Genetics, 2018. Abstract. Induced pluripotent stem cells, iPSCs, enable the generation of previously unattainable, scalable quantities of disease-relevant tissues from patients suffering from essentially any genetic disorder. This cellular material has proven instrumental for drug screening efforts on these disorders and has facilitated the identification of novel therapeutics for patients. Here, we will review the foundational technologies that have enabled iPSCs, the power and limitations of iPSC-based compound screens, along with screening guidelines and recent examples of screening efforts. Additionally, we will provide a brief commentary on the future scientific roadmap using pluripotent and 3D organoid-based combinatorial approaches. Introduction A limited number of genetic disorders have true disease-modifying therapies. On the surface, this issue is counterintuitive, as the mutated gene itself provides a node of locus for therapeutic discovery design. Unfortunately, the costs and challenges in modeling the pathological processes coupled with their variety precludes them from significant corporate or public investment. While legislation like the Orphan Disease Act has curbed some of these structure issues and has led to groundbreaking drug approvals for diseases like cystic fibrosis, spinal muscular atrophy and Duchenne muscular dystrophy, drug development for monogenetic disorders still lacks that of more common diseases. In addition to financial impediments, traditional human genetic disease models have notable caveats. Specifically, the use of human immortalized cell lines and heterologous expression systems presents concerns for faithful disease modeling due to their non-physiological nature. Likewise, animal models can be confounded by substantial interspecies differences. Furthermore, scalability constraints and animal colony-related costs can further restrict animal-based modeling. Primarily, patient-derived disease-affected cell types represent the de facto gold standard disease model, but accessing such material is often challenging or prohibited, and these tissues often are poorly extendable. The development of induced pluripotent stem cell iPSC technology has enabled new opportunities to identify disease-modulating therapeutics by providing a nearly unlimited amount of pluripotent material from any patient. This unprecedented technology has enabled the precise study of individual cell components of each organ in isolation, mixed cell settings and 3D organoid environments organ-like context. Additionally, its in vitro tractability facilitates the comprehensive study of development, disease pathogenesis and the impact of exogenous effectors like drugs and toxins. 
the confluence of disease modeling and ease of drug evaluation, in particular, impose comparatively rapid drug screening for human genetic diseases. In fact, many of the earliest studies using iPSCs from human patients with genetic disorders employed targeted chemical screening to modulate a specific molecular target in an informed or hypothesis-driven manner. Importantly, these reports established the feasibility of therapeutic compound identification for a diverse set of diseases, including Alzheimer's disease, familiar dysautonomia, long QT syndrome, rat syndrome, schizophrenia, spinal muscular atrophy, and Timothy syndrome. These advances led to the full utilization of iPSC technologies in the first high-throughput unbiased iPSC-based phenotypic screen using a large chemical library in 2012. Importantly, this therapeutic discovery approach with the initiation of the first clinical trial using an iPSC-discovered compound. Below, we explore the origins of iPSCs, offer guidelines on how to conduct iPSC-based drug screens, present recent examples of iPSC-based drug screening for human genetic disorders, and offer our perspective on the future of these screening technologies using 3D organoid models. A brief history of pluripotent technology Embryonic stem cells Modern in vitro pluripotent technologies were established through multi-decade path of critical discoveries. This process began with the isolation of the embryonal carcinoma EC cells. The unidentified pluripotent cell type of terocarcinoma. These cells provide the first scalable tool to probe developmental transitions to all three germs layers in a dish by providing essentially unlimited pluripotent source material. Recognition of the similarity between EC cells and the cells of early embryogenesis, including the cells of the inner cell plasma, ICM, prompt EC cell transplantation experiments in blastocysts, which demonstrated the ability of EC cells to differentiate and contribute to the tissues of a postnatal mouse. These results prompt the search to find the genuine non-malignant pluripotent cell that underlined mammalian development. In 1981, two independent groups successfully isolated pluripotent embryonic stem EC cells from ICM of mouse blastocysts. Similar isolations of human ES cells from the ICM of human blastocysts proved to be challenging, while ethical, regulatory and funding hurdles certainly contributed to the delay, technological challenges arising from fundamental differences between mouse and human ES cells were the principal impediment. As it was later discovered, human ES cells are distinct from mouse ES cells and instead mimic mouse epiblast stem cells a more primed pluripotent state which required distinct culture conditions, 
This latter distinction prolonged the successful isolation of human ESL lines until 1998, more than 15 years after the first description of mouse ESLs. While human ESLs revolutionized the study of human biology, generating cell lines harboring heritable diseases was restricted to donated embryos discarded after screening a small number of mutations as part of pre-implementation genetic diagnosis. A pressing need existed to develop pluripotent lines from any patient harboring any genetic diseases. Induced pluripotency of somatic cells. To address these access issues, groups sought ways to reprogram somatic cells to early developmental states. Application of Sir John Gurdon's 1958 Nobel Prize awarded somatic cell nuclear transfer, SCNT-based reprogramming technique, was a logical choice. This method facilitated reprogramming of fully differentiated somatic cells simply by introducing the nuclei to an enucleated oocyte, stringingly transactivating factors present in the oocyte could reverse developmental commitment and generate bona fide clones. This phenomenon translated across species and was mostly famously applied to create the first cloned mammal, Dolly the sheep. While these headline grambling findings were truly remarkable, the prospect of leveraging SCNT to provide ESL source for any human adult or child was arguably more exciting. Although derivation of pluripotent stem cells from human SCNT embryos was eventually demonstrated in 2013, the ethical issues with cloning and destruction of presumptive embryos, as well as the challenges in obtaining donor human oocytes and performing the technically intensive SCNT procedure, presented significant impediments to widespread use of this technology. Fortunately, a groundbreaking alternative was poised to provide a widely accessible alternative to SCNT. The idea that transactivating factors could be used to reprogram a somatic cell presented an intriguing possibility. The identification and application of these factors could be used to induce pluripotency in somatic cells without the need for donor oocytes. While the oocyte factors themselves could be characterized and tested for this purpose, work from the early 2000s suggested that pluripotent cell-derived factors could provide an alternative reprogramming approach. Leveraging these findings, Shinya Yamanaka and colleagues ectopically expressed four transcription factors in mouse fibroblasts, reprogramming these cells to mouse IPSCs. This Nobel Prize winning work was then applied to generate human IPSCs from fibroblasts a year later, providing a scalable access to essentially any diseased tissue from human patient. Despite some notable transcriptional epigenetic and potency differences when compared to EES cells, IPSCs are competent at recapitulating known pathological hallmarks and uncovering new understandings for a wide range of diseases. 
cementing their scientific importance. iPSC as a drug discovery tool for genetic disease. Derivation of patient-derived iPSCs can be obtained using commercially available reagents or third-party fee-for-service operations. These models have greatly increased researcher access to these powerful personalized medicine platforms, enabling previously unattainable in vitro disease modeling and subsequent drug screening studies. However, these latter studies can be challenging and their success relies on appreciation of the overall framework and appropriate choices at critical decision moments. We also recommend very close science translational medicine block in the pipeline for further clarity on drug screening related considerations. Patient iPSCs and control lines. Patient somatic cells have typically consisted of fibroblasts obtained by punch biopsy, but can also be sourced less invasively using peripheral blood mononuclear cells, dental pulp from deciduous teeth, and renal epithelial cells from urine. These somatic tissues can be reprogrammed with integrating viruses, but not integrating episomal-based and Sinde virus now offer the ability to perform footprint-free reprogramming and now the preferred route. In the past parallel wild-type control experiments were performed using non-isogenic, well-characterized human ES lines or iPSCs, however, these comparisons can be challenging to interpret due to differences in genetic background. However, with the advent of the highly modular type 2 CRISP systems, consisting of a Cas9 nuclease guide RNA duplex, has enabled the efficient modification of cellular genomes, isogenic corrected iPSC cell lines. Prior to use, all iPSCs should be programmed at least five passages to remove or inactivate residual reprogramming factors. Staining with canonical markers of pluripotency, including a known reprogramming factor like NANOG, should be used to confirm line identity. As additional level of rigor, a teratome assay may be performed to prove pluripotency. Finally, all selected clones should possess normal karyotypes and be tested and confirmed mycoplasma negative as abnormal karyotypes and mycoplasma infections can have profound effects on cellular phenotypes. Assay development A phenotypic assay necessitates the use of disease-affected cell types. A differentiation protocol that efficiently generates the affected cell type in high purity should be employed to produce disease tissue in sufficient quantities without confounding contaminating cell types. During differentiation, multiple independent clones per genotype should be used to establish a cellular endpoint, which represents a disease-relevant phenotype. This phenotype should be robust, reproducible, and amenable to screening. 
since screening libraries typically contain compounds dissolved in DMSO, this phenotype should be confirmed to be DMSO insensitive. Primary screening. These recommendations are primarily applicable for large compound screens. However, many of the underlying principles still apply to smaller targeted screens. We encounter the appreciation of all components of chemical screening. Library selection. Targeted compound testing involves the screening of a small number of compounds fall under two specific categories. Use of known or purported disease-modifying drugs to validate the cellular genetic disease model and two, discovery of dysregulated pathways or targets followed by application of established compound effectors and assessment of pathologic modulation. The former approach provides mostly incremental advancements but may be critical to establish the cellular model for future unbiased screening using large compound libraries. The latter can accelerate the identification of bona fide disease modulators and potentially supplement the need to screen a large number of compounds. However, caution should be paid to prevent overinterpretation of a specific phenotype. For instance, pathological processes can often lead to broad dysregulation of cellular biology, which could confound the selection of a specific target or pathway and may lead to an inconclusive or patently erroneous result. Large compound library screens provide the opportunity to rapidly interrogate multiple pathways and targets in an unbiased or semi-unbiased fashion. This enables the identification of compound modulators which target previously unappreciated disease mechanisms. Importantly, compound libraries should contain enough structure diversity to prevent target bias, be obtained from reliable sources to guarantee reagent purity and identity, and be maintained in a manner to prevent degradation or contamination. It is worth noting that many IPSC-based chemical screens have opted to use repurposing libraries containing clinically approved or clinical candidate drugs with 1. Well-annotated targets that can be easily validated in downstream studies 2. Favorable drug-like character to enable rapid transition into preclinical animal models in human patients and three, establish safety profiles to preclude unforeseen toxicity events. Unfortunately, the chemical redundancy in these libraries limits the discovery power, but may be an acceptable trade-off for more rapid clinical translation. Screening dose and replicates. Primary screen design for large compound libraries involves navigating a sea of compromises due to resource constraints. While it is possible to perform the primary screen using multiple doses and cell lines, typical screens use a single line to note that compound effectors with low potency will likely be missed at the lower end of this range 
while some high-potency modulators may be toxic at elevated doses. For added rigor, or low and high primary screening dose may be used to reduce the potential for these false negatives. Reagent standardization. Since reagent composition can change from lot to lot, it is important to assemble validated lots prior to the initiation of a screen. These lots should be assigned and utilized during the primary screen. Also, as many large compound screens take substantial time to execute, it's critical to perform the screen prior to reagent degradation. Screening performance and hit selection. To control for changes to the assay over time, it is critical to include positive and negative controls to gauge assay performance and for post hoc normalization of interplate variability. Calculation of that prime is a commonly used method to evaluate screening performance on a per plate and global basis in biochemical assay, but can also be applied to cell-based screens in spite of their greater variability. Even in cases where Z prime is not ideal results may be still be used, but the risk for false positives increases. Finally, while primary screening hits can be selected on a number of ways, a five-sigma improvement over the negative control serves as a robust identification method. Secondary screening and validation. These intervening steps serve as valuable filters to select the lead compound which will further characterize through molecular target identification and in vivo studies. This process is critical for the elimination of false positives and discovery of legitimate disease modulators. Dose response. The demonstration of a dose response can be critical for establishing a genuine on-target effect. Furthermore, these curves can be used to ascertain the half-maximal effective concentration ECS50 of a compound which can be important in prioritizing high-potency disease modulators. Biological replicates Cells derived from unique iPSC clones, different patients with the same or distinct genotypes and different sexes, if disease-appropriate, provide material to validate primary screening hits and eliminate any line-specific artifacts. Primary cells from patients or disease-relevant animal models can provide an additional filter to demonstrate that the compound affects bona fide disease tissue and reduces the chance of potential additional iPSC-based artifact. Importantly, while the use of different genotypes or species adds an additional layer of rigor, it is possible that compound modulators and mutation are organism-specific, and so the potential exists for overfiltering this. Orthogonal non-biological reagents The use of alternative reagents or reagent sources is vital to prevent false positives and reagent-specific artifacts. 
For instance, compounds can be mislabeled or degraded in a library collection, gravely misleading the call of a screening hit. One should obtain independent sources of compounds hit or they filtered positive leads compounds prior to further advancement. Additionally, orthogonal markers, antibodies, chemical labels should be employed to reduce compound-induced positive phenotypic readouts that are irrelevant to the underlying disease process. Target identification The lead compound's annotated mechanism of action should be evaluated. In particular, two questions can be asked. One, is the target expressed in the screen cell types? And two, do structurally distinct compounds with the same annotated target also demonstrate efficacy? These preliminary data can support or refute a canonical mechanism-mediated effect. Further investigations using gene knockdowns or knockouts can provide additional verification. It is worth mentioning that while the establishment of a molecular target is important for understanding the mechanism of disease modulation, downstream in vivo validations do not necessarily require this information. In vivo testing Demonstration of in vivo efficacy serves as the preeminent validation of in vitro therapeutic chemical screening. As such, it is essential to appreciate unique features of in vivo testing. Proper dosing, in particular, is critical to evaluating in vivo disease modulation as underdosing will result in a lack of efficacy, whereas overdosing may cause toxicity. While it may seem attractive using vitro compound concentrations to inform in vivo doses due to pharmacokinetic effects, those should be determined empirically or be informed by previously published in vivo studies using the same compound. Exploratory studies using two to three doses with verification of target engagement in the cell type of interest is highly recommended. These studies will also provide the necessary data for an a priori power calculation as part of a large-scale blinded trial with randomization. Finally, special attention should be paid for central nervous system targets as many compounds do not cross the blood-brain barrier. If possible, using a filter or known blood brain barrier penetrance during secondary screening may be prudent prior to selection of the lead compound. Recent iPSC-based drug screening efforts Current drug screening efforts are summarized in the supplementary material. Of note, the majority of these reports employ targeted screening approaches using a small number of known or predicted disease modulators. These may reflect the inherent challenges in generating disease-relevant cell types at high scale and purity for larger screening approaches. The next frontier, iPSC-derived 3G organoids. 
2D monolayer culture methods have traditionally been used for iPSC-based studies. While these modalities excel at rapidly modeling cell intrinsic deficits, they ultimately lack the contextual elements within an organ, and therefore disease cell types are potentially devoid of disease-relevant inputs. In particular, an organ's biological architecture, endogenous signaling and intercellular interactions may directly impact disease pathogenesis. While it is not possible to fully recapitulate these aspects, new 3D organoid-based technologies offer greater physiological relevance relative to their 2D counterparts. Additionally, it is worth mentioning that 2D-generated cultures recapitulate largely fatal or early postnatal phenotype while organoids may afford the opportunity for extended maturation to more adult stages. Pluripotent-derived cells are amenable to organoid-based studies as they show capability of self-organization and have demonstrated the recapitulation of complex tissue architectures of the biliary tree, brain, fallopian tube, intestine, liver, kidney, pancreas, retina, and stomach. Such protocols have been applied to a host of genetic diseases including allergial syndrome, autism, cystic fibrosis, enhanced scone syndrome, familiar adenomatous polyposis, Huntington disease, labor congenital amaurosis, microcephaly, microlysencephaly, melodica lysencephaly syndrome, polycystic kidney disease, retinitis pigmentosa, rat syndrome, and Timothy syndrome. While these pluripotent base organoids have yet to be heavily scaled, they have been used as part of small-scale targeted drug screening of allergic syndrome, cystic fibrosis, familiar adenomatous polycystic, polycystic liver disease, and thymoty syndrome. While organoid-based studies offer a number of benefits of a 2D cultures, they also come with a number of caveats. 1. Self-organization variability leading to inter-organoid differences. This necessitates the use of many individual organoids to confirm that the observed phenotypes are not a mere consequence of these natural variation. 2. Diffusion effects that manifest with increasing organoid size. Large organoid cores will often show significant necrosis, whose effects may reverberate to the outer layers. Notably, solving these issues is an active area of research, and as vascularization or pseudo-vascularization techniques are refined, these issues may fade. 3. Essay and points, especially antibody-based phenotypic are challenging to assess in floating 3D organoids. Reporter-based approaches or novel essays will need to be developed to improve the throughput of these technologies. While organoids represent powerful new biological tools, the increased complexity will likely prevent the usurpation of 2D cultures for the foreseeable future.
Instead, organoids will likely fulfill a role in critical validation studies as part of secondary screening pipelines using monolayer cultures. Concluding remarks While iPSC technologies may transform the treatment of genetic disorders, the scientific tools may also pay dividends for common diseases that affect large swaths of the population. In particular, many recent blockbuster drugs have been used to treat rare monogenetic diseases. As such, the identification of drugs for genetic disorders could serve as important intersections of discovery for the benefit of potentially large numbers of patients. Such novel approaches are imperative given the spiraling costs for a single drug approval, the multi-decade stagnation of clinical approvals and a rising clinical trial failure rate. It is worth noting that iPSC-based drug screens are still in its infancy. As these technologies are further refined, they may solve issues in drug development and will potentially fulfill a critical role in the delivery of novel therapies for patients. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please, do follow me on Twitter and suggest an article you would like to listen to.